Welcome to Fintech Insider After Dark, the festive edition. I'm David Breer. Today, we are in the Revolut office in Canary Wharf, and we are live. I will pay everybody later on. Thank you very much for that, guys. Uh, this is a very, very special Christmas edition of Fintech Insider. We've got Christmas lights, snowy backdrops, and some very, very festive Christmas jumpers going on in the room. I'm super duper impressed, I have to say. For this show, we're changing up a little, and we are getting into the Christmas spirit and bringing you a Fintech Christmas carol. So bear with me, okay? Like, genuinely, there's going to be some things in here I need your help with. All right, back to business. Ready? Ready for this bit? I'm going to get into the fintech carol part of the story now. I feel like I need to get into character. Is this, is this too much? No? All right, okay. Jacob Marley was dead to begin with. You guys know the story, right? It's quite morbid, the beginning of this. <laughs> Bear with me, it gets more lighthearted, but uh, it's quite depressing, this start of this, this whole thing. But I'm going to be your narrator for this evening, so I'm not going to be part of the main show, but I'm just going to be the narrator on the side of things. Which, actually, if you've seen... A Christmas Carol. I haven't really seen Christmas Carol, but if you've seen A Muppet's Christmas Carol, <laughs> which I have seen, okay, I'm essentially Gonzo in that story, okay? So if you have seen that, I want you to believe I'm in character all the way through this. No comments about my nose or Muppets jokes, please. Um, tonight we're going to be joined by the ghosts of fintech past, present, and future otherwise known as Simon, Sarah, and Jason, who were waiting in the wings. They're going to be discussing how customer experience in FS has changed over time and what has yet to come in the future. Um, but who are going to be our Scrooges for tonight? So as it's Christmas, we didn't really want to pick out one person. It seemed a bit mean. Um, so we picked out three of them. Um, please welcome to the stage, though, Scrooge number one, Richard Davies, COO of Revolut. Scrooge number two, Scott Abrahams, SVP of Business Development and Fintech at MasterCard. Thank you. And Scrooge number three, Megan Kaywood, Head of Digital Strategy at Barclays. Good old brand. You can wear your hat. Welcome to the show, Scrooges. How's it going? Good. He's quite comfy really chairs. Yeah, like nice. really chairs still black nice, right now. Yeah. Contestant number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's it going? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad everybody got the Christmas jumper email. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that worked out well, didn't it? I mean, I think everybody. No, that got... has worked out well, yeah. though, isn't it? I mean, everybody got the email, but yeah, yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah. Only six people read it. <laughs> anyway, I'll join you in the hat there. Come on. Oh, mental! On. You're going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I feel so oh, festive oh, no. now that you're wearing the hat. <laughs> um, get, get, get in. And um, um, welcome, Megan. Yeah. How's it going? Thanks. No, it's really good. Um, it's nice to be in Revolut's office. I didn't realize they were so close to my own. So, yeah, it's good That's to be good. here. Convenient. Yeah, it's very good. Convenient. You know, yeah. short commutes. It's great. Yeah. Okay, guys. So, are you guys sitting comfortably? Yeah. <laughs> you're getting into this. Well done. Thank you. Look, if I can get into this, you're going to get into this. All right. Okay, then I will begin. Once upon a time in Victorian London, on a cold, frosty night, I told you this was going to be difficult, didn't I? This is, this is going to be a lot. You're so, doing good. Yeah, bear with me. Thank you. I appreciate your support. It's good. Okay, on a cold and frosty night on Christmas Eve, a misery money lender named Ebenezer Scrooge. I think a boo at that point would be good. Boo. It's going to be very panto, guys. Like, bear with me. Uh, named Ebenezer Scrooge was visited by three spirits to show him his past, his present, and what a terrible future he could have if he didn't change his dastardly ways. 
As I'm sure you know if you've read the book, or like me, actually just watched the Muppets film, uh, before all of that, he was visited at his home by his former business partner, Jacob of Marley, a ghost, who wanders the earth weighed down by his heavy chains and money boxes following his lifetime of greed and selfishness. Marley tells Scrooge that his single chance to avoid the same fate is he will be visited by these three spirits, and must listen or be cursed to carry a much heavier chains of his own forever. So in this first part of the show, what we're going to be doing is taking a bit of a view through this first ghost, the ghost of Christmas, and I'll be honest, for the sake of this podcast, FS Analog Past. Uh, Please welcome to the stage the ghost of FS Analog Past, Mr. Simon Taylor. didn't tell me we were creating a pantomime. Um, I feel like we should... Uh, we yes, should we it. are. <laughs> well, that was brand new information. Um, as uh, a former bank employee, I feel um, it's my duty to play the bar humbug and the Scrooge in this uh, scenario. But actually, um, it was all better in the old days, right? Um, actually, former bank employees here, like you had face-to-face relationships. You didn't have to deal with any of this digital stuff where you can't get hold of a real person. Oh, come on, no way. So, um, I remember my parents, this is going beyond, beyond my time, but like uh, talking about getting their first mortgage and how there was sort of mortgage rationing. There was kind of a queue you had to get in for mortgages and wait sort of three months before like you got to the front of the queue. The war, and, there was like mortgage rationing. Yeah, and then you could go see the, the sort of um, Mr. Mannering type, type figure at the bank to, to get your mortgage. Uh, not the best of um, speedy uh, UX there. Yeah, but they knew you face-to-face, right, Megan? This was a good thing. I know. Well, so rewind to years ago, back in 2016. I moved over, and I opened an account, and it was actually a really good experience because I'm not... So I'm not someone who's prone to being frustrated or getting angry. Like, friends would call me like, oh, I'd love to see Megan get angry. Well, I opened a bank account. Yeah. And it was <laughs> atrocious. So opening an account as an expat, but then I remember... So just wanting to send uh, a, a payment to a friend. So one... I went to the app. Of course, you couldn't send payments via the app. And then I thought, go online. Then you have to go back to the app and generate a digital secure key. You go back online. Remember your employer. Remember, like, put in, like, your date of birth and all these security details. And then you couldn't even pay them. You had to set them up as a bill pay. And I had to read an FAQ as a house to set up my friend as a bill pay to, like, split a meal. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, every little thing. Like, I just want to, like, live my life. But banking at every step of the way, opening an account, making payments, having insights. It was still when, like, notifications would come through, like, two days later for what you spent. Um, and then I made the mistake of using this traditional bank card, of which they will not be named, um, abroad. And then, like, you know, of course, they don't tell you the exchange rate at the time. So you get, like, a letter in the mail, Surprise! like, next month <laughs> saying, like, we gave you this terrible exchange rate, and then we add on a 2.5% fee. And it's just, like, everything was just so painful, like even the basics of banking. And this was just a few years ago. But yeah, we've come a long way since then, but I'll, I'll leave it here since you're of the past. I feel like you've really took a scab off something here, Simon. Yeah, <laughs> like who knew? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was just gonna thank Megan for a great advert for our product. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's far cheaper than therapy, this. It's, 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 has yeah. anybody else got something they need to say? Because this is a safe space, there's no audience listen, or anything. I, I, listen, I'm gonna go way back in time again, but like, I do think there's a really, actually cool story from FS Past. Um, which I, I really love, uh, kind of original blitzscaling uh, before the term was <laughs> invented many decades later, right? So I don't know if any people know the kind of origin of the credit card. Um, so the Bank of America sort of launched it back, I think it's 1959, um, what was called the Fresno Drop. 
So Fresno is like a, a small town in California. That sounds like something from a rave. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, this is back when uh, things were done differently. So you they mailed out they mailed, they mailed out sixty thousand credit cards with a five hundred dollar limit to people, like just to use. Wow. And within about uh, twelve months, there was a million credit cards being used in California. That's that's blitz scaling. Uh, that is pretty cool, right? So I mean, there, there was some there was some good stuff done in the past as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I felt that, Megan. I love the way the past was like three years ago, by the way. Yeah. Was it all that bad, though? Was it? Was well, it I don't Scott? know. I mean, you've, I, I, I suppose I have to take the contrarian view. I'm, I'm the Scott, oldest person here, for a start. Um, was it all that bad? Has things really changed? Well, I mean, there, was, there were card schemes in Christmas. Yeah, well, those were the days, weren't they? Oh, yeah. Uh, um, yes, indeed. Well, I, I, I think... I don't know. I just don't know whether it was that bad. It suits us here to say it's that bad. Yeah. Right? In many ways, I'm surprised that Barclays are saying it's that bad. Uh, uh, um, oh. In some ways. No, no, yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that from that perspective, I, I just don't Ooh. know whether it was necessarily that I mean, bad. That's let's all. Let's be honest, though. So, like, finances are fundamental to the way people live their lives. So the whole thing about Barclays is we have the saying of creating opportunities to rise. And that's because finances, they create opportunities, but they can also limit opportunities. Like, when they introduce frustration... Um, when they introduce like these really time-consuming, lengthy processes, all these things add up and they actually impact people's lives. So back before I joined Barclays, even though I was, when I opened this account with a different bank, when I had came here and I was at Starling though, it really fueled this vision of like, let's make it incredibly easy to open an account. Let's give real-time notifications. Let's not have foreign fees. Let's just make everything so simple. And actually, I think it's quite a testament to Barclays that they would hire someone like me because they see the value in that. That actually the way technology has evolved enable us to make customers' lives so much easier and to reduce anxiety and to help people make better financial decisions. And that's a big calling and something to wake up for. But, but Richard, do you think it was that those processes were fit for purpose in the analog world and now they were coming under pressure? Or is it that actually there's a customer for whom that's fine and that they, they want that service? Yeah, I mean, listen, there's clearly customers that want like different channels of service. So there is definitely, even today, right, there's, there's a, a large segment of society that does want some sort of physical relationship. Um, but I, I guess wait, that's increasingly... That, that's increasingly... <laughs> the, right, but like, right. With a branch manager? <laughs> like, and so, I mean, so I mean, not that there's anything my, wrong my with My mum, right, would, would, would value that, right? Yeah. My father-in-law have very happy Revolut customers. So yeah. it's, it's not necessarily an age thing per se either, right? But um, there, are, there are kind of different people who want different things. So I think there is a need out there for diversity of financial services that caters to those needs. But clearly the big single trend from the last five years, right, is people wanting that smartphone-based, frictionless experience. And importantly, something we haven't touched on, right, is, is value. It's, it's about ease experience, but it's also about value. And I think there's been massive dis disruption of um, customer value over the last five years. I think that's a really important point. All right, Snap Poll. When was the first time, Scott, that you heard the term fintech? Can you remember? I'll Cash be honest, it back. wasn't something that stuck in my mind. Yeah, you um, knew the Wayne's World thing. I don't know. <laughs> Five, six years ago, I suppose, something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, I joined MasterCard in 2014, so maybe about that time, Yeah, maybe. FinTech was a thing. How about you, Megan? Um, it was either late 2015 or early 2016, because it wasn't a term used in San Francisco. You worked at a technology company that made financial software. Yeah. When I came to London, it was FinTech, and I was like, oh, an interesting term we have here. Um, <laughs> oh. <but> now, <laughs> yeah. oh, and digital also. That also wasn't really a term used as frequently in San Francisco when I was there, uh, but was uh, caught on here a bit more quickly. So digital and FinTech, I would say, it was probably around 2016 for me. What about you, Richard? Uh, late 2013, so I've been hired to like, start Oak North, and... Uh, 
I kind of thought, hey, going to go start a bank, and then give that one. Started going to some of like the industry events, and like people are like fintech. Wow, well, this thing's cool, great. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to throw this to the audience. Um, cheer if it was in the last five years. <laughs> All right, cheer if it was in the last three years. And cheer if you want to cheer. <laughs> All right, yeah, so what we can tell is that it's, it's a relatively recent thing as a term that's kind of developed. But I guess um, yeah, a lot of, lot's changed, I guess, in that three or four years. The, the perception has really changed. If you wind the clock back just three years, uh, the, the perception of what was required from a, a technology stack was, was very, very different. You know, the way it worked before was, was always fine. Do you think that um, banks are kind of really struggling to, I mean, I'd love your views on this, Richard, uh, overcome those processes as much as the technology, or is the technology the thing that's really sort of welding them to the ground? Listen, I think it's kind of a combination of uh, legacy technology, legacy hiring, and legacy P&L. Um, so, like, kind of exploring three of those, right? So, technology, lot, lot talked about, right? So, the old um, cable-based system from the 70s or 80s, um, always talked about. But then you've kind of got hiring, so I guess one of the things I really noticed about Revolut that's very different to a lot of banks have worked in is the, the hiring for skills around data and, and technical skills. And I guess you've got to hire the people with the skills you want to create, rather than just have them in a sort of solid bunker over here, which a lot of banks do. And the legacy P&L, right? So, um, great if Barclays are doing it, but certainly banks have been on in the past um, you kind of had the, the conversation about FX rates and fair FX rates, and mm. taking that 200 million quid PNR hut uh, that year isn't really uh, top of the priorities. So uh, you kind of um, leave it and ra rather bleed rather than uh, take it up front. I think that's interesting, Scott, that it's not just about technology. There's incentives and people, which is a really key thing. And I guess you're seeing that in MasterCard. You guys have been doing lots with fintech for quite some time. Yeah, and, and this company we're saying today is a great example of that, right, yeah. in, terms of, in terms of the its growth, its people. I think, I think the thing that, that we see throughout, though, is that, you know, the people that are being successful here are people that understand that some things haven't really changed. People want a relationship in some way or other, and they want to be rewarded for that relationship and feel that they're getting something for doing what they're doing. And I think, really, that, that's the key. I'm no technologist. I don't understand a lot of those things. But I think the businesses that are doing the best have one or two key things. You know, um, Revolut talk about, you know, as their, their core, the FX. Amazon started with books. Revolut started with FX. Um, you know, and those that have a very specific calling, I think, are the ones that are being really successful. It's that beachhead almost. That, that yeah, exactly. Kind of and then you, obviously, you, you go from there. But there's one thing you start with that drags a lot of people in. Megan, I'm interested in your views, picking up on that point from, from, um, from Scott there, that, like, had, do you think innovations had to change inside banks from, from what it was three, four years ago to be, be something different now? Because um, we've seen a lot of fintechs come along with this one wedge product. They do one thing really well, but then they're able to extend beyond that. It's almost that thin mm -hmm. platform piece. Yeah. Can that approach be taken, or do you have to take the whole organization with you? Like, How do you think about those two speeds? Yeah, it's not mutually exclusive. So on the one hand, all companies, uh, you know, over the past three years have had to continue to evolve in terms of what they do and how they do it and how they innovate. What it looks like for banks is I think the reaction to fintech and the challengers was very much recognizing uh, the way that they innovate on the user experience to make it better, faster, easier, more intuitive. 
And so there's been a mixed approach. So some of the traditional banks really want to innovate just on that front-end user experience, whereas others have seen also how reliant that is actually on the core technology that's powering it as well. Mm. Um, so there is an element of saying we really need to invest in our technology because that helps us to move faster and at lower costs. And until you can do that, you can't really compete in the same way in terms of user experience or price. Um, but then at the same way, you have to look at the processes and the culture and the way that you do things because the, the kind of hoops you can make uh, your employees jump through in order to build and innovate at pace can also stifle your ability to really um, change what you're doing and how you do it. So from a Barclays perspective, it's not only what we do and the technology and continue to make that best in class, but it's also how we do it and the culture we wrap around it. It's not what you do, it's the way you do it. Yeah, um, yeah. Richard, what have you seen as you've jumped into uh, Revolut about you know going through this unbelievable growth um, that it's going through, absolute uh, massive growth? How are you able to to kind of manage and keep and grow what it, what has made it so successful in, in the in its early days? Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's people, right? So um, to extend what Megan says around sort of culture and people and skills is is the core because ultimately people build technology. Mm -hmm. So I think that thing of how you get ahead of the curve on hiring is, is just the, the, the crux of it. And, and Scott, um, thinking you know, like uh, Scrooge that needs to change his ways here, um, where, does, uh, where do you think that there are other incumbents out there that are in that Scrooge position that do need to change their ways and, and how do they start thinking about that? Well, I I'm not going to pick any particular individuals. Go on. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. Um, too often. I think the um, from from our perspective, I, I think you know I, I've been to many and spoken at many events such as this, and and too often it's, in my opinion anyway, too adversarial between the the old school, yeah. if you like, and the new school. Um, and you know th there is you know I understand, but 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 bashing the incumbents is and of itself a means to an end, if you like. Mm. I, I think the over the next five years, and I know we're going into future now, maybe, but um, I, I think the the businesses that will do the best, both fintechs and incumbents, are the ones that can partner the best personally and choose the right partners, if you like, and invest in the right partners. Well, you've, you've managed to segue, and we're, I was just out of my time, and uh, that wraps up our little trip down memory lane. It's almost like I read the script. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I hope you're feeling... Yeah, well done. I, Thank you. Um, I haven't read the script. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling nostalgic, um, but I've got to hand back to uh, David, because I, uh, you know, I, I think it was all better in the past. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> very good. So thank you very much to our ghost of Christmas past. Okay, all right, so we are back in the present. You with me? Like, this is more complex than Back to the Future at this stage, really, what we're doing. So, uh, okay, back in the present in 2019 and to a Christmas carol. And Scrooge is feeling pretty bummed at this stage, right? So in A Christmas Carol, the ghost of Christmas present takes Scrooge on a journey to visit his peers. He basically wants to see what they think of him behind his back, which is like some sort of weird... 360 feedback thing, but just with ghosts and stuff. But um, I suggested the ghosts and stuff at 11FS, but no takers, but um, clearly not something that's gonna catch on. All right, so having turned down the offers of celebrating Christmas with his family, Scrooge is instead forced by the ghost to watch him them celebrate without him. 
Uh, like Scrooge, banks are pretty much on the outside right now, um, very much on the outside of what their customers' lives are and really looking in. And following in from the 08 crisis the, and the rise of fintech, customers have really realized that there is a bit of an alternative. So whether it's not offering the same services and really beginning to sort of talk about them behind their backs, realizing that there actually are other options actually out there in the market. So how has customer experience really changed over time? Where are we today? Where have the banks begun to really fight back in this process? And where are we right now? I mean, at that stage, enter the ghost of banking digitized present, Sarah Kachansky. Well, that is one of the more complex titles I've had in my time. I'm not sure that's going to fit in a business card. Um, so we've kind of already started to touch a little bit on where we are now. Um, Scrooges, in your opinion, and in like, you know, one sentence or two, what is the biggest improvement we've seen to date? And short, go on, the biggest one in customer experience. Is it the fact we have apps? Is it the fact we can do 24 seven? In a sentence, that's tough. Yeah, it's tough. Come on, yeah, yeah, like, ruin the words. <laughs> so much to I've say. I've got a timer down there. I've got a timer. Yeah. Laura or shout. In a sentence, my best attempt at this, um, the innovation we've seen, the changes that we've seen, have enabled access to bank accounts and to financial services um, to be easy to open, easy to manage, easier to have insights into what you're spending. Um, and to be able to compare across providers and easily switch should you choose to do so, which has increased competition, which therefore has increased uh, the amount of effort applied by the different competitors uh, to really improve the offering for customer benefit to help them make better financial decisions. Okay. So That's it's as the, short as I can do it. No, 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 I like that. That's so we're, the biggest improvement to date is actually the effort that the financial institutions are putting into customer experience. They're actually starting to care. Yeah. Anybody else? I'll go for fair and frictionless. Oh, nice. Even snappier. Good. Oh God, if I think about myself personally, I'd just like to be able to see my financial position like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I remember having to go and print statements out and all those mm -hmm. types of things. Yeah. That's the thing that I value the most. So it's the um, it's the being able to have a holistic picture in one go, whether that's online. Or yeah, yeah. Exactly. Perfect. Um, so that's kind of the biggest improvement, but obviously with some of these improvements, you also get new concerns coming into play. So talking about fast and frictionless, we're talking about having that holistic picture, but what are the kind of um, new concerns or concerns that are built into that that are affecting customer experience? So I'm thinking here, particularly we're talking about data security, we're talking about trust, we're talking about you know, the, the, the speed of innovation versus inflexibility. You know, what, what are the biggest concerns from your guys' perspective, and what are the biggest concerns from, from my perspective or from, or from people out here, you know, when they're talking about their own personal providers? I mean, I, I, I personally think these days, and, and this is arguably a 2019 thing as much as anything else, I think it's about data. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think, you know, and that isn't necessarily regarding um, businesses operating in fintech or even, you know, or, or, or banks of, of any size. I think there's, there's been a huge trend supported or not by regulators around owning and looking after your data and there's been some relatively large disappointing things from a tech perspective that have made people really wake up to that um, and you know we as a company would, would also of course look at fraud and all those things you know I think I, I think our business my business trades mostly on trust you see our logo 
and you know that you can pay in probably the same way you did in London this morning if you're in Sao Paulo tonight, right? So that's less of an issue. For me, it's about data. Where's my data? Who's using it? How valuable is it? And I think public awareness of that is, is growing, not, not in a positive way, in a way in terms of the things that seem to be going wrong with that. So it's almost like the conflict of like the customer experience is improving because you have access to that data, yeah. but at the same time... I mean, there's always been this thing of... If I'm getting enough value back, I'll happily share my data. I, I still think that's relatively the case, mm -hmm. but, I, but I still think that there's, there's enough people out there who are even considering whether that's a good trade-off for them, personally. So it's, it's almost like, you know, it's, it's the customer's biggest concern which makes it your biggest concern. Mm. You have to address that. Yeah. Anybody else biggest concerns from, yeah. from you know, a customer experience perspective and how to deliver good experience? Yeah, not necessarily a concern, but I think the challenge that we're facing is to the point before, which I totally agree with, is that the, those that partner the best will be those that win in the future. It's all about the connectivity of the ecosystem. But with that comes the reality that you're helping customers to share their data, to access other financial services. And so therefore, it's not only about your security, it's about ensuring that those that your customers are sharing their data with are also honoring that same level of security and integrity in the ecosystem. And so there's this kind of thought where someone like, oh, we're going to put what we're going to do with your data in the privacy policy. We're going to create derivative data and sell it for marketing purposes, but it's transparent because it's in the privacy policy. Well, you have to realize, like, I saw a statistic the other day that it would take us 76 days a year if we read all the terms <laughs> of services that we signed each year, right? Oh, my God. And no one's doing that. So there is um, kind of an onus that's put back on the corporation mm -hmm. to make sure when you're partnering with someone, are they encrypting data at rest and in transit? Are they going to create derivative data? Making sure that they don't do those types of things. So almost having your customers back to make sure that their data is be treating, being treated with the same kind of care and diligence that you would treat it with. Um, but then also ensuring that the ways that customers authorize that data to be shared is explicit. They know what data they're sharing, for what purpose, and they can easily revoke that at any time. So I'd say the challenge is we have to make sure that as we lean into partnerships that we really take um, that seriously around the kind of work that we should do to make sure that the security is enabled and not to say it's in the privacy policy, they should know, um, and make sure we think that through. And surely that's part of customer experience as well, is making those privacy policies accessible. Yeah. Like, as a customer, my experience of understanding that privacy policy could be a lot better right now if what you're saying is... If it would take 76 days to read all clearly, nobody's doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I kind of broaden that, because I completely agree, I think yeah. you broaden it slightly, you, you kind of talk about just customer understanding of what they're getting in general. I think mm -hmm. that sort of points of transparency and ease of understanding what they're getting is key. And particularly as we move beyond, I guess, perhaps more simple products digitization to more complex product digitization, and uh, I, I guess that, that risk of not understanding what you're getting and... Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess that's not ended super well for the um, traditional banks historically with kind of, you look at the, the scandals over the last 10 years. You mean sort of hidden fees or...? And I think if you've kind of got a fair value ethos, hopefully you're, you're not doing that. But it's that sort of thing of like, does the customer really need and want the product they're getting? And, and that importance mm -hmm. of that, just understanding what, what service they are getting from you. And I think that basically, ultimately, you can only have a really good value exchange if both parties understand the deal. So, it's, it's, and again, that goes back to the customer experiences. Not only do they have, you know, if the product they, they, they end up with is brilliant, but it's not the product they want in the first place, that's a bad experience. Yeah. And, and if you kind of, you get more complex products, clearly that's a, that's a harder thing to do. So, um, in terms of some of the things we've discussed there, so we've kind of discussed, you know, the things you're excited about. Well, no, we've discussed the things that are happening right now. We've discussed some of the challenges on both sides of it. If I were to say, what are you most excited about what's happening right now? So, not in the future, 
Mm-hmm. We, can't, we can't be like, in six months' time, open banking is going to be fabulous. We all agree that's going to happen, right, eventually. Six months? Yeah, well, I'm being optimistic. <laughs> I spent a lot of time on open banking recently. But um, what are you excited about this happening right now? What do you think is something you've seen yesterday or last week or two weeks ago that is like, this is super important for customer experience and I'm really excited about what it's going to mean for the industry? Yeah, I can take a stab at it. Um, <clears throat> So I think it really depends on who you're talking about, first of all, I should caveat. So what is exciting that's happening in a challenger bank will be different from like the traditional larger institutions and even within different sectors. There's just, it's just different depending on who you're looking at and talking about. That said, I think that there's been a fundamental shift in understanding that user experience is not just the shiny app. That is just one element of it. Whenever you look at technology, um, you know, moving from a monolithic code base to a native cloud-based microservices architecture, um, that is actually, if you're building it correctly, a lot of logic is being driven from the back end. So really, unless you're changing that, you're not going to have the, the kind of benefits that you're looking for. So for example, in the US, if you guys are familiar with JP Morgan's Fin, so they effectively, they built a new app that was targeted at uh, you know, millennials. It was a digital-only bank, but they, they created this app on top of their legacy architecture, and it had like a lot of emojis in it. And that was, it, it wasn't that good, to be honest. <laughs> I remember at one point I opened it because I was so curious. I'm like, oh, it's so good. JP Morgan's innovating in this space. But then I went to do, like, they never sent me my pin in the mail. And so I did like a pin reminder thinking it would be like one of the challenger banks <laughs> here where, you know, you put in your password and it shows it on the screen. And of course they put like, ah, we sent it to you via snail mail, winky face. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> like email? And then like they literally no, sent it. Yeah, a letter in the mail to my home, like in the US. And I was like, oh my gosh. And like, so you end up kind of constrained by these uh, legacy processes whenever you only start to try to build um, the client side of it. So I think the, the exciting thing now is really fully appreciating what technology enables. <coughs> technology is a strategy, innovating both on the back end and on the front end. <clears throat> Building a full set of open APIs, not just to comply with open banking, but to really lean into the connectivity of the ecosystem and then really changing that paradigm around you know, we are one institution, we upsell our own products saying, actually, let's help customers find the best product for them, no matter who that's provided by. And I think that's something that all is what technology enables, um, but it's really just coming to market now. So I just want to point out that I predicted Finn's demise like two days after it came out on Forbes, <laughs> like when I have my Forbes article. So that's like the only win I've ever had by that. Yeah. I'm going with it. The emojis. <laughs> um, yeah, the emojis were what did it for me. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. never going to work. Um, what about the rest of you? Well, I think, I mean, from my... I'm no technologist. What's really exciting for me at the moment, what's happening, is that you know London has always been a great financial centre based around some you know fantastic financial institutions that have existed for a long time. What I'm excited about is that on top of that, we've got a relatively large number of fintech organisations that are really going to the next level on a global basis. Mm-hmm. That's what's exciting especially for a company like mine who was operating on that global basis as well. Um, and particularly in these interesting times for this country and this city, that's the thing that interests and excites me the most. That was incredibly diplomatic of you. Sorry, thank you very interesting much. Interesting times. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm, uh, I've already voted, so that's okay. Um, but, um, you know, that's the... Thank you at the back. Uh, <laughs> I think Jeremy might be in. Uh, but, um, nice. Uh, so, you know, there's... I think we should be really proud of this city, mm-hmm. um, and we need to be at this time. And I think from, from our perspective, from MasterCard's perspective, you know, we've invested a lot here, we bought some other companies that are based here, um, and that's the thing that's happening at the moment that I'm most excited about. Brilliant. Just global perspective. Global, uh, yeah, global learning. From London, but a global perspective. 
Wonderful. So kind of coming back to the customer, um, and so perhaps building on what Megan said around integration, I mean, I sort of spent a lot of my career on SMEs, and the thing that I love is just the, I mean, we're doing it, but lots of people in the market are doing kind of really helping to solve the admin burden on an SME mm-hmm. uh, business. I think that it's such a, been such a neglected segment for so long, and now you see so much activity that helps to integrate accounting, integrate expenses, integrate invoices, integrate payroll, integrate acquiring, and, and bring together that really strong experience that you need to run a business, which has been so fragmented historically. So it's exciting to see underserved demographics finally being served. For sure. And, 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 it, and more than SMEs? Or well, no, it's just, I mean, I, personal? I, I, yeah, I've done it for like a decade, and I, I, I love the space, and I, I think it really matters to the economy, right? So I, and it's just, I, 10 years ago, nothing was happening. It was like a a wasteland, mm-hmm. um, and yet yeah, customers had big problems, right? The same problems we're solving today, and the fact people are really getting off those problems, and there's hundreds of thousands of businesses taking that up is, is amazing. All right, I think that's a nice point to leave the present. I think that will lead us nicely into the future. Um, so I'm going to conclude FinServe present and hand back to David. Very, very good. Okay, well, thank you very much for my uh, ghost of present. <laughs> Okie dokie. All right. Well, folks, we're now going to be taking a look into our crystal balls and heading into the future. Ooh. All right. So in A Christmas Carol, Scrooge visits a poorly attended uh, funeral of a businessman with no grave mourners at all. Um, and this is quite a terrifying thing. But before we get into all of those things, I want to do a, a few things. So he had a very clear view of what the analog past was. He had a very clear view of what that digitized... I mean, Scrooge had no idea of any of this stuff at all. It was the Christmas Carol, right? Like we're, <laughs> we're taking somewhat of an artistic license at this stage, at this point. But, uh, but he had a very clear view of what that digital future would be. Um, but before we head into that digital future, we wanted to thank our amazing sponsors. Um, firstly, um, thank you so much to the guys at Revolut for having us here. Richard, thank you so much for making this happen. Chad, thank you so much for, for doing it. But give the guys from Revolut a big round of applause. Thank you very much. Next up, uh, thank you very much to the guys from Soldo. So uh, prepaid MasterCard does all of the expenses for you guys. Credit cards for employees and departments, setting up custom spending limits, and do does such an amazing amount of things to, to help. So those guys have done a, a lot to actually make this happen tonight. So give them a round of applause, please. And last but not least, the guys from MasterCard, not only did they give the Champions League tickets, which I think deserves a round of applause in itself, <laughs> but I'll be honest with you, if you don't know MasterCard, you're probably very much stumbled into the wrong room at this stage <laughs> if, you're a, I know if I have. you're a fintech event. So uh, Global Payments Processing Network connects consumers, financial industries in 210 different countries right now. And, uh, I think if you're uh, actually starting to uh, starting a business and wasting your time on simple stuff, these guys are trying to figure that stuff out. So for more information, head over to mastercard.com. But give these guys a round of applause. All right, and back to our crystal balls. So, okay, so in A Christmas Carol, Scrooge at this stage visits a poorly attended funeral of a businessman. No mourners turn up for that businessman. Sad times, right? You know, as a businessman, 
Sad times, I'm just saying, right? Um, nobody uh, turned out for his funeral either, which is pretty terrifying at that time. But poor old Tiny Tim gets loads of people. So there's an upside of being an orphan, it turns out. All right, so in the wake, uh, it, he wakes up and donates to charity. He reunites with his family. He sends the Cratchits a goose for Christmas. Um, and looks after Tiny Tim, which is good. Uh, vowing to embody the spirit of Christmas all year round. So, on that note, please welcome to the stage the ghost of financial services' digital future, Mr. Jason Bates. So, sorry, I was trying to add a lot of drama there. No? I, I think, saw it. <laughs> yeah. it was like that, that pause. I know. Please I welcome. Jason I know. Bates. I got really. I'm really getting into this now. Like, <laughs> you guys are good for another few hours, right? <laughs> All right. Although I did realise that the ghost of Christmas future in Scrooge in the Christmas Carol doesn't say anything. It's just like this ghostly mm. figure in a black cloak with a like ghostly hand that just Ooh. points, <laughs> which I think would make quite a good. Panel. Don't leave us hanging tonight. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be honest. I've been in a lot of meetings with you. It's very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so, panel, this isn't about the death of FS. There won't be an unloved grave, but there might be a messy decomposition. So fellow fintech Scrooges, let's visit the future slice by slice. At the very bottom of all fintechs, we've got rails. At the, back, at the bottom of every bank, there's payment rails. The way money moves from bank to bank, provider to provider, person to person. We've got many countries implementing some version of faster payments connecting banks. And we've got big card networks like MasterCard, but with Alipay, open banking transfer, democratizing access via new payment rails, even central bank cryptocurrencies on the horizon, what does the future hold for, for payment rails? Who's going? Who's up? Do you want me to go? The car team goes first. Ma Master yeah, yeah, if you want me. Future's fright. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> you see? Make it over to you. Nail this. Looking into the future, it's a scary yeah. place. I think, you know, from our perspective, from MasterCard's perspective, clearly we've spent rather a lot of money um, backing more horses than the old horse. Mm. Right? Yeah. Um, and again, the UK is, a, is, is very much a, a shining light of that approach before we made the purchase of Vocalink, and yeah. obviously we're, we will hopefully make the purchase of Nets once that, once that goes through. We, you know, we've all, always talked about MasterCard as a, as a technology company operating in payments. We've never necessarily spoken about cards. Most people on the street in the UK would see us as a credit card company, because that's what most of our cards are here. We like to think we're much more than that. You know, and from our perspective, it's our intention to be um, agnostic to how payments get to the people that you want them to. Um, what we're interested in are layering services and applications above that, and obviously working with, with all of the partners we have around the world to help that as well. Because a lot of people in payments are now talking about the addition of context. It's no longer just a naked transaction with a particular amount of a particular currency with an 18-character identifier or something. It's like push or pull or a variable, you know, mm. uh, uh, direct debits or, you know, recurring mm. payments and a variety of things. Like, do you see the future that of experience actually starting at the rails level where suddenly these new types of... Maybe, but I, I don't think many consumers care less about that, do they? Uh, you know, we were talking about that earlier, both in the past and the present piece. Sure. I don't think, you know, people who are in this industry will get some of that stuff. 
I think like anything else, it's about am I making this transaction safely, securely, is my data safe, and sometimes am I getting something back for it? That's, I think, what we should still focus on. The things underneath all that are things that many people in this room will worry about and compete on, um, but I don't think that matters too much to the consumer, and if we, if we get too much into that, things are going to get rather confused. Yeah. I think, um, just to build on that, I think we're at the precipice of probably like one of the most exciting elements of the, the kind of phase of financial technology innovation, particularly in the UK, because we've had a lot of regulation around payments, around uh, account switching, around open banking and APIs and data and who owns the data and how you can share the data. And that's really just now coming to fruition. So with open banking, we've just now really seen that fully starting to come to market, the authorization improvement, fintechs actually being able to build on it. And it's all with this intent that customers have, um, one, greater transparency of their choices. Um, the regulators made it such that challenger banks could come to market, and they've reduced the capital requirements so more could compete on equal footing with banks. You've seen a whole load of VC investment coming into, into the UK that's really spurred on the development of that. And so now, as a result, customers have more choice, they have more transparency around the choices, and it's easier to switch to those choices, and it's only becoming easier. So I think the reality of that is because that heightens the competition, um, the fear from the traditional side, if we rewind just a few years back, was that we would be reduced to the infrastructure player, the dumb pipes. We would be doing the boring bits of fraud and KYC and AML, but all these fintechs would do the more exciting things, the higher profit financial products that they could then introduce you to, right? Um, and I think that that's actually a brilliant thing because as that manifests, customers have um, a better ability to find the product that best meets their needs. So I think in the future, what it will look like is that the player who really is able to use data the best to understand customers, to help them connect them with the best product in the market for them and to easily access that, easily manage it, um, will be those that become the category leaders, I would say, on the user experience side. The other side of the competition is not everyone's going to be that user interface. There's probably going to be only a handful of those that really come sure. to market. On the other side, I think it'll become very price competitive, and they'll really focus um, instead in competing on reducing the cost, um, competing on the price, because they'll be manifesting through these others. But I think it'll be um, a really big benefit for the customers, but we're really just at the beginning of seeing that now. Uh, and I think that brings on to that next layer, you know, above the payment rails, you're into that commodity, you know, financial product provider, yeah. savings and loan, net interest margin, the business yeah. of banks. And, yeah. and if the, you know, the ghost of Christmas future for big networks is fully democratized a variety of rails, then mm -hmm. ultimately the, the Christmas future that's horrific for banks yeah. is, this, is the world of telcos, yeah. where ultimately we don't really care who the little badge is on the top of our iPhone or Android phone. Mm -hmm. um, it, it basically just provides those pipes and rails. Mm -hmm. So um, will big players turn into, into pipes and commodity utilities for the services and players above them? Um, is there room to, or is there room to specialize there? What do you think, Richard? Yeah, God, so... <laughs> I was a strategy consultant years back, like 15 years ago, and I remember doing a piece of work where we, we said exactly this thing was going to happen. Um, has that fully happened yet? No. Uh, so I kind of hesitant to... But, but wouldn't you say that, that Revolut is built on this model because ultimately you haven't been a bank to this point, so ultimately have a commodity banking player beneath effectively what you're delivering. Yeah, listen, mostly we have our own license, right, and we're, it's our own, our own kit. We, we clearly use a load of people for uh, SWIFT payments or payments into Australia or, or whatever, so there's a lot of um, partnership with banks as well. 
Um, I think, so I don't want to, I, I was going to make a bold prediction, but then I kind of remembered 15 years ago. Uh, that's not, I, the thing, I'll, I'll focus on the savings market. Because we talk about payments, and like clearly international payments, the cost and the speed is a problem. And that problem needs to be solved. Like, it really has to be solved. For people that make international payments, it needs to be a lot better. But and, uh, probably even more so, I think savings is a really key area. I think in many, many countries, there is a real big issue of uh, exploitation of um, backbook savings customers, where there's like the, the penalty for loyalty thing that's like, insurance, and it's really there in savings. And you, you, your new customer gets a better rate than the old customer, and most customers aren't getting great rates in the current yield environment. So I think there's something really interesting there about the decomposition of like, banks that want to pay good savings rates and how you really match up as a platform customer demand with, with, with those banks, and really then start to properly democratise access to good savings rates. I do think there's a big... Well, there are a number of differences between... You have to be careful between payments and banking when it comes to these things. I mean, I, I spend quite a lot of time in China. Um, and when I look at it from a payments perspective, I mean, I spent two and a half months in China last year. I don't think I use cash ever um, because I was with my wife. Um, not that she pays for everything, but because she uses WeChat sure. and you pay for everything everywhere. And it's interesting... Many people have different views about China, but one thing that they've done well is bring people out of poverty. And one of the ways they've brought people out of poverty is by financially including them. One of the ways they've financially included them is by using things like WeChat. So, you know, I think there, for a company such as mine, that's a, <laughs> quite a challenging situation. Right? Yeah. I mean, you literally, in two months, I didn't need cash in what was, not long ago, a huge cash-based economy. And uh, this was in a small city... Um, in the southeast of China, but not one of the major, you know, conurbations, if you like. Still five million people, but not sure. a major conurbation. And so I think, you know, I think the pace of change in payments, arguably to some extent, is much faster than perhaps the pace of change in, in more core banking type services, certainly in B2B, and also maybe in lending as well. There's a number of areas where I think we as consumers still want to feel like there's somebody in front of us when we sign those documents and do that deal. Payments less so. Well, and especially when you talk about that financial inclusion, because ultimately the cost of a small number of players connected to the big payment rails and then paying for all of their infrastructure and approaches to run the accounts that then make mm. the payments work, mm. even having an e-money license and running, trying to start a card-based business, you can be paying £50 a customer in order to run that sort of account for them. Mm. Where actually, if we really are serious about inclusion, then that stack really has to be a lot cheaper in order to make that work, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's probably a wider point, right, about just economies of scale, which I think you're making, which is generally, you've either got to be really niche and therefore have a segment you case to really well and, and people will pay a high price for that because you're catering really well to a really specific thing, uh -huh. or you've got to be big and uh -huh. therefore you've got economies of scale to bring the cost down. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's the brilliant thing about the changes that we've seen in technology because it not only improves what you can do for customers but also reduces the cost of doing it. Um, and so you get the savings on both sides. Uh, but to that point, I think even when we look, you know, into the near future, uh, there's still a diversity of, you know, what customers need. And to that inclusion point, I still think that there is a role for, like, that human element into it. Um, and it's funny because when I joined Barclays, there were some people would ask, like, how much, 
you know, or how strongly I believe we should be digital first and digital only. And I'm like, you know, honestly, I, I do think that there's very much still a role for the branch, and that's, that's really important for some people. So while some customers will, yes, want a mobile-only, amazing digital experience, and that fits them perfectly, and we should mm -hmm. totally nail that particular channel, there's still a diverse set of needs, and I don't think uh, kind of in the near term that, that we'll see that kind of fade away. So even still, I think... Uh, continuing to maintain the, the kind of human elements to it has a, a role to play still. Well, I guess going up that contextual stack, we start on the payment rails, we're talking about the, the banking bit, and now we get onto the intelligence services, not necessarily banks. This layers about delivering customer jobs to be done for particular communities and groups, using technology to deliver real value and making money on premium, freemium subscriptions, affiliate fees, packaging, from SME financial management to travel to managing personal finances, Surely, like, this is the layer of the digital player. Like, what happens there? Is there space for financial players that aren't financial players, that are relying on other infrastructure, but making money on value-add services? But is that not present? Just a challenge, right? I mean, sure. you kind of look at Apple and Goldman Sachs. I mean, you look at what we're doing around the whole bunch of things you mentioned on premium and metal and uh -huh. SME. And I, I think that's kind of today. I think the, the really interesting question for me is... Um, uh, personalized, personalization and, and uh, predictive services. Uh -huh. uh, so, so getting beyond what today is some actually really amazing UX and really amazing um, pricing and all sorts of value there for the customer. But how do you go beyond that to really, truly personalize? And, and that's got to be about predictive uh, in there. Which I guess takes us back to that ghost of Christmas past, the whole uh, private banking for the mass market, the village bank manager that used to look after you much more personally, suddenly we get technology that can de deliver that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, and better and faster. So like, that's the, the kind of the beauty of technology. I think, though, that there's absolutely this role to play for those who are innovating in finance, but they aren't necessarily a bank, you know. But what does that role look like? I think the area that I'm a bit skeptical of is, though, um, looking at the U.S., where I'm from, actually, they haven't had the same regulatory advantages to compete on equal footing with the traditional institutions. And actually, there, where I think there's still a role to play, I think um, it could be limited, like when we look at the kind of global playing field for those types of players, because they end up being reduced down to only uh, like having interchange as a revenue stream. So basic things like net interest margin, treasury income, like those are all stripped away if you don't actually have the banking license and can't hold the deposits. So I think in certain areas like in the UK, yes, absolutely, and probably even more so for those types of fintechs uh, to compete and to offer you know, higher profit financial products, maybe less so as we kind of look outside of the UK given the kind of difference in regulation. I think the, the interesting thing for me is that I think... Um, the fintechs in general, I think their advantage from a regulatory perspective will grow over the next few years. Uh, and there's a number of reasons for that. I think, I think one, we've seen in the last year um, a political support to make sure that cash is available to all that need cash. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen, um, we've certainly seen from certain parties campaigning in the general election that you know, they will keep and force banks to keep more branches open. Mm -hmm. Um, which will give those that never started with them and they, they therefore have none to keep open mm -hmm. an even bigger advantage, I would argue, from a, from a margin perspective. And it will be interesting to see how that plays out over the next few years. Um, you know, the, the, the traditional banks are a well that the regulator and, and politicians go to quite often. And I think it will be interesting to see how the likes of our large partners that we've had for a long time 
cope and thrive in that environment, which I think makes partnering and all those other things even more important than it does before. And it's interesting because I think partnering brings us on to that, to my top layer. You know, we've done the rails, we've done the financial products, we've done the intelligence services, but then we're into the place where financial services disappears because it's, it's integrated into those journeys. You know, uh, whether it's buying a nice handbag, buying a house, proving you're old enough to buy a beer, insuring a laptop you bought, a portion of banking becomes invisible when it's integrated into those journeys. When other players come in and say, actually, it's not the banking, it's the journey, and banking just plays part of it. Uh, is, the is the future, you know, there being banking or the, the things that I need to ma manage my finances, but the rest of it belongs at the point of need? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if we look at China, if we look at India, actually that's already becoming a reality. So if you look at India and the advances they've made with UPI and the EKYC, you see that they'll mostly, like, people there will mostly actually manage their finances through something like Google Tez or Google Pay, um, which is just such a different kind of... Uh, layer, I would say, of bringing that kind of integrated financial services. But I absolutely believe it will become invisible, it will become at the point of need. I think the brilliant thing is like the ease of accessing each of these, like different financial products, will become so much better. We won't even be able to imagine the old way of doing things. I think that's when we'll know we'll have nailed it, because we'll be able to go back and like, can you remember the days? You actually had to fill in a form, like in person, or like fax it in, um, which we're already kind of there, uh, to be fair. But I think the, the kind of extent that we'll get to with making things easy to discover which product you need, easy to sign up to it, accessing it at the point of need, not necessarily even within a particular banking app, uh, will become increasingly a reality. That was really good, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I go with a stunned silence. That. That was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well done. So my last question, like, uh, I'm fascinated by how many players fill this space? There's some interesting layers. Is this just a small number of global players? Is this 100 players in each category, in each um, market? Because actually people can really specialize and deliver on specific mm. niches. Like, what does the, well, I think, what I does think the Christmas future look like? I mean, if, if you look at other areas of the tech market, you start off with lots and then you end up with a few, you know, super global players that are, you know, and, and we all know who they are. So if, if this market follows the trends of others, then that's where we'll end up. I think there's, one would hope that over time, um, politicians and regulators perhaps get more involved in that more early. Um, to be fair to more players in that marketplace in a way that they weren't as, as these things perhaps will learn from some of the lessons of the past when it comes to that. But I think also, you know, there's, I mean, that's just sort of the market to some extent, isn't it? And I think the, the one thing we haven't spoken about, thank God, um, is open banking, you know? And, and that is creating another huge swathe of very small players trying to enter. And there could be a lot of spaces for very, very niche mm. players. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there he is. Shout out to Simon. Uh, and, <laughs> God, that window we can open back there, is it? <laughs> You're on the fourth floor. Um, but, um, you know, that would be a good thing, wouldn't uh -huh. it, necessarily? But, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah I, mean, I guess I kind of said it earlier, right? That this, there is definitely always room for niche people in any market, but you've got to be really... You didn't cheer then. Good like, yeah. niche. I said it, you like, cheered. <laughs> That's their wedge, right? They, they want to be, yeah, they want to be yeah, niche. Yeah, they want to yeah, conquer yeah. the world. They're, they're starting with rental deposits. Um, like, but it's like, you've got to have the angle. You've got to go in and compete really hard on like something. You can't start a business without a, a really good angle. I think, though, yeah, most, most sectors are scale businesses if you want to serve the mass market. 
Um, and you see signs of it already, right, with both fintechs, a bunch of names failing in the last um, few months, and then also you see it in the, the small, mid-sized bank sector where, again, there's a whole bunch of banks on the ropes. So it's, it's, I think it's a thing that you will see consolidation and, and people fall by the wayside. So maybe we'll end, we are ending on unloved graves of uh, fallen yeah. fintechs and banks. Uh, uh, Merry Christmas to everyone and uh, handing back to David. Okay, well, thank, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you to our ghost of financial services future. Okay, I'm, I mean, I made one rule when we started 11FS, right, was to not get drunk and quote Charles Dickens. <laughs> there was one rule, okay? Isn't that two rules? No, no there was one rule. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there was two rules. Yeah, yeah. But we'll talk about the other rule later. <laughs> um, but as Scrooge did say, oh my God, after some alcohol, this is really difficult to get through. Okay, so no space of regret can make amends for, one, for one's life opportunity misused. Nailed it, right? Okay, so we have seen FS analog past. It's digitized present and its digital future in all of its glory in terms of where we're going. Nailed it, guys. Good work. Okay, so the opportunity for this industry is focused on creating financial services that actually people really care about fundamentally. Um, we're seeing fintech players and CEOs, uh, big organizations for that matter, whether they're big banks or they're fintech players, really making an effort to deliver things that people actually give a shit about, which is fundamentally what this industry is about, right? And then they're... Honestly, I, I see from our perspective, really, that they're doing it not to just kind of lace their pockets with gold, but fundamentally to be in a situation where they're changing the lives of millions of people around the planet. Uh, and of course, in a Christmas Carol Scrooge uh, mentality, you know, the dude changes his ways at the end, right? So many of the players that I think many people in the industry have written off, there are amazing organizations with amazing people at all walks of life who are really trying to do the right thing from consumers' perspective. So can the whole of the FS industry actually do the same as, as Scrooge did? I kind of think we're going to wait and see and see what happens on that space. So please, as you leave here tonight, do as Scrooge did. Uh, from this point onwards, if you can live in the past, the present, and the future, and let all of those three spirits into you, it's probably going to turn out better. I mean, there's plenty of spirits at the bar as well. So let those into you as well. Um, but, um, and on that note, it wraps up a pretty awesome FinTech Insider After Dark Live. So audience, you guys have been super great in terms of everything that we've been doing. Um, give yourself a round of applause to start with. Give our first Scrooge a round of applause, Megan. Give our wonderful and, I mean, like Richard, <laughs> Megan, like you just didn't bother with the Christmas jumper at all, did you? No, I'm going to be honest. Sorry. Like, <laughs> give Richard a round of applause. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Scott in the middle here with a wonderful, like, uh, that carrot is just Thank beautiful you. on the nose. <laughs> uh, You're give not Scott a round of that. applause. <laughs> <laughs> And a massive shout out to our co-host here, so of the ghosts of past, present, and future, Jason, Sarah, and Simon. Give them a round of applause. 
And to the amazing 11FS production team and all of the support from the marketing side of things and everybody at 11FS, thank you so much for making this happen. Thank you so much for the sponsors, MasterCard, Soldo, and Revolut for letting us have the venue. Give the guys a round of applause. You can find out much more from us at 11fs.com. And Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you very much. <laughs>